Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. What is up, my friend? Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. My name is Graham Baldwin. Good to have you here with us today. We're on episode 98 we are closing in on an even 100 episodes. So looking forward to that. It's going to be a lot of fun. we got a cool episode planned for that episode. But before we get there, we are still on uh, episode 98 today. So let's get into it. Hey, also, before we do, let me quickly remind you that if you haven't already, we are in the thick of things within the Speaker Lab Summit. This is an online virtual summit that we have been working on behind the scenes for the past several months. And it is finally here. And we are right in the midst of it. We have had literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people from all over the world that have registered that are taking part in this. Because uh, I know sometimes like we want to hear from some of the best speakers on the planet and just traveling can be hard and you know going to a conference or an event or leaving family and just the logistics or taking off work and all that stuff makes it difficult. So what we've done is we have interviewed over 40 of the world's best speakers. We put them together in the Speaker Lab Summit here. This is a virtual online summit that you can actually attend for free. Yes, that is right. You can attend for free. You don't have to leave your home. You can stay home. You can watch in your pajamas. We're totally good with that. All right. In fact, we did the math. And if you were to hire these 40 plus speakers to come speak at one of your events, it would cost $615,000, but literally, literally, you can come see these speakers for free. I mean, seriously, we're talking about some of the world's best speakers. We have people like Hal Elrod and Andy Andrews and John Lee Dumas and Chandler Bolt and Chris Ducker and John Gordon and Dan Miller and Jeff Goins and Pat Flynn and Dory Clark and John Jance and Bob Berg. And I mean, seriously, the list just goes on and on. Just really, really top-notch speakers. So if you haven't already, you definitely want to register for that. It actually started Earlier this week on September the 12th, it's going to be running through next week, September the 23rd. But each day we were releasing a couple of the presentations and talks from these speakers. And within those talks, once they're up, they're only up for a couple of days. So in fact, if you missed on Monday's talks and presentations within the summit, those are already gone. We already took those down because each talk is only going to be up for three days, 72 hours. So Literally, we put them up, we wait three days, and then we take them down. So you have a small window to watch them because we want you to take advantage of this. We don't want you to miss out on this. So you can go over to thespeakerlabsummit.com. Again, thespeakerlabsummit.com. Pick up your free ticket so you can watch the remaining presentations and talks. That way you don't miss out on any more. All right, so for today, we're going to be talking with my buddy, Ed Gandia, and Ed is a guy who really is sharp, especially whenever it comes to email prospecting, all right? So this is something that we teach is how to email potential clients and what you should say and how to build some rapport, because we know that everybody's email inbox is, is crowded, They're, they are busy, they have a lot going on, they guard it, they don't respond to many things, perhaps they delete a lot of things. That's what I do, at least, and I know a lot of people do the same. 
So if you're going to build a relationship or connect with the decision maker, how do you break through that maybe literal or proverbial filter to get into someone's inbox and really connect with them? So with Ed, we talk about that. We talk about uh, how to find the email address for a potential client. We talk about what the subject line should be in that first email, how many words long that email should be. We also talk about four ways to make a meaningful connection with a potential client, and then also how to follow up without being annoying. So some really great stuff here about, again, prospecting and following up uh, and reaching out and following up with potential leads for speaking gigs. So let's get right into it, my friend. Here's my conversation with my buddy, Ed Gandia. Enjoy. What's up, my friends? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Hey, we're joined today by my buddy, Ed Gandia, who is uh, one of the smarter guys I know whenever it comes to using email for prospecting. And so this really applies to speakers whenever it comes to we find something online, we find a potential event, and we want to know, how do I reach out to them? How do I contact them? How do I begin to build that rapport and that relationship where ultimately, ideally, they would hire us to come speak? So I've had a lot of success with that, and I've learned a lot from Ed on this subject and topic. So Ed, thanks for hanging out with us, man. Why don't we start by, why don't you give us kind of a high-level view of your business, what it is that you do, and kind of how you got into this whole email marketing thing. Yeah. Hey, it's great to be here, Grant. Thanks for having me. So the, at a high level, I guess I'll start by giving you a quick story. It's something that I kind of stumbled into. I came from corporate sales, and I started selling professional IT services about a week after the market crash in the year 2000. So you know, my timing was impeccable. <laughs> and I basically had to do a ton of cold calling. This is a really bad time to be in IT. And I found that uh, I had already done cold calling before in, in a previous job, and I, I hated it. But I just I, I could never really kind of get used to it. It was always drudgery. And I knew there had to be a better way. So what I started doing is I just started kind of researching other options. And I found that uh, there were a lot of very smart people who, instead of just kind of pounding the phones were doing things to, to, to kind of automate the process a little bit more. So not fully automating it, but you know, using email, using some snail mail to reach out to prospects in a more efficient way. And that way you could work with the ones who responded instead of just you know, kind of guessing and working the numbers and the law of averages. So really what, what I developed came from that. It came from just a need to be able to make my numbers and keep my job and but do this in a way that was you know somewhat pleasant and was very very effective gotcha so at this point you're realizing that just smiling and dialing isn't super effective so how are you starting to learn how to actually like send an email and to actually get a response and not be annoying to people yeah so i guess i should take a quick step back so what what ended up happening is eventually i left sales it's doing very well but Interestingly enough, through this process, I realized that I enjoyed what I later found out was called direct response marketing. You're putting something out there and and hoping some people, a percentage of those people come back with an answer. They raise their hands, so to speak, and tell you they're interested. And you follow up with those. And I ended up becoming a freelance copywriter. And I started working for software companies, which is what I was familiar with. Eventually, I ended up going on my own. And these days, I train freelance writers and copywriters on how to build their businesses, how to build and grow their businesses. And I teach a specific strategy. But the way that that I realized was working is quite the opposite of everyone else is doing. So everyone else is all about me, me, me. Let me tell you about me, my services. Let me tell you about me and my track record. Right. 
And that I think is kind of what, I think it's what we think we're supposed to do, but that's the polar opposite of what a prospect would be interested in seeing. So I realized that it was really more about creating a pattern interrupt than anything else. In sending them an email that because of all the elements that it has, is so different from 99.5% of the emails they're getting from everybody else, that just because of that, it stands out. And that's what you want, because if it doesn't stand out, it's not going to get read. Everyone thinks, oh, it's got to be beautiful on the inside. I got to give them all this information. That does not matter if the prospect doesn't read it. So the main thing is how you know, I needed to create a system that caused prospects to open it up and start reading. So do you feel like that this system that we're going to dive into in just a second here would work for getting on the radar of potential clients for speaking gigs? Absolutely. So it works. What I found is it works in a business-to-business setting. So in other words, you're a business, and if you're a speaker, you're in business, and you're selling to another business or organization where it doesn't work is if you're selling to consumers or if you're selling uh, products, uh, like physical products, like you're selling, I don't know, notebooks or paper cups or boxes or whatever. But if you're selling a professional services and you're going to another organization, then this pretty much applies. Gotcha. Okay. You mentioned though that the, one of the mistakes that people can often make is that they send that initial email and they're focused on me, 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 me. And I would totally agree with that. that that's one thing that we talk with speakers all the time about is you, you can't send some massive email about why you're so amazing and why they should hire you. But sometimes we just, we get so excited. I found a potential client and someone that's, I have the solution to their need. Why shouldn't we just go in for the kill right away? Because you haven't built the trust with them to get that opportunity. So you got to chunk it out. You have to do this in steps. Just like, you know, I always think of the samples you get at the grocery store, right? right? They're not trying to sell you a case of whatever, little sausages or meatballs. They're trying to sell you a sample, which is actually free. And from there, you might pick up a box of these meatballs and then you try them at home and you really like them. And then maybe next time you buy two. So you have to do it sequentially. You have to do it gradually. It's too much. You have to work with whatever level of trust you've built with that prospect. And at the beginning, there is zero. See, that's all you've got to work with. So it's got to correspond to what you've got on the other side of that makes sense. Gotcha. Yep, that does make sense. So I want to come back to some of the email piece too, but I'm curious. So one of the things that we talk about, we walk through with students is how you can actually Google and find potential events. But when you are searching for potential events, and let's say I come across a site, how do I know who to contact on a particular site? How do I know, is like, is there any way, and again, it's going to be different in every industry, but as a general rule, we want to email, I assume the decision maker or who we think is the decision maker. So like talk us through from your perspective, what that process should look like. Yeah. So obviously every industry, like you said, and every profession is going to be a little different, but that's the first thing you got to know is who's usually my best bet to start talking about getting hired. So like the folks I work with are writers and copywriters, and they're usually working with a marketing manager or marketing director. So that's the first thing you got to know is who is the right person for you to be talking to? Because until you have that, you, I mean, you could be kind of all over the place. So the first thing you need to know is, you know, who's the decision maker typically. Gotcha. 
So, uh, you know, again, educated guess on who that person is. And I find their email address. And well, I guess there's another question. Like sometimes it is posted there. And then sometimes it's just kind of a generic info at ourcompany.com. So is there any good strategies that you know of to find that particular person's contact info of who it is that you want to connect with? Yeah. So uh, there are quite a few strategies and I, you have to, what, what everyone ends up doing is you kind of find your own way. Uh, but the way I recommend people start out with is a starting with LinkedIn and then doing some very specific Google searches. So LinkedIn is great for figuring out who's got that title or something close to it in this organization that I'm trying to go after. Mm -hmm. So it's just pretty good about giving you the name and confirming your title. And then you can read the description and make sure that this might be the, the right person to reach out to, but it won't give you their contact information in most cases. So that's when I go to Google next In Google, you can actually start searching and use some advanced search techniques to see if you can find that email address published somewhere. Now, Google can't get into a company's email server, so that's not the whole point. But Google indexes everything that's been published out there. So if it's out there in the public domain somewhere and on a website somewhere, even in a PowerPoint presentation, inside the presentation, in a slide, it's uploaded somewhere, it will find it and it will index that information. In fact, that's, that's, it's interesting because it's, you will see that often is Somebody presents at a conference and they make the deck available in the conference's website, uh, but it's deep inside the, the organization's site and Google will find and index that, which is crazy. So unless it's behind a firewall, it will find it. So what you're looking for at that point is, I know it's Grant Baldwin I'm going after and I know the name of the organization, I know the domain name. So now I start playing a game and it's detective work and I'm trying to find out instances of the term Grant Baldwin, and I usually put that under quotation marks, so it puts it all together. And then at abcco.com, if that's the URL of the company. Mm -hmm. And I start playing, and Google has, if you look on the main page, there's this link where you can do some advanced searches. And you can do some of these searches that way, or you can learn how to type them in yourself. But you're looking for instances of that person's name and then an email address. Now, what will typically happen about 60% of the time, I'm able to find or get a pretty good guess of, of in your this example, your email grant using just Google alone, which is completely free. Right. The other way I can find it through Google is I didn't find Grant's email address, but I found Maria as a colleague of yours. And I see that her, if her last name is Smith, maria.smith at abcco.com. So I, based on that email convention, I can guess that you are probably grant.baldwin at abcco.com. Yeah. So one of those two I'll usually find and at that point, I'll just go ahead and try sending that the email. A lot of people stress out over this. I think it's, you know, there's a point where you just, you make an educated guess based on what you've uncovered, and then you put it out there and see what happens. Um, my backup plan, there's, there's probably about 30 different tools out there that some are paid, some are free, that allow you to play detective at a more sophisticated level. There's two called reportive out there. There's all my tweets, the searches, Twitter, searches, Twitter, an email finder, uh, an app called Charlie. So there's all kinds of things. And if you just Google, you know, ways to find somebody's email address, you'll find a lot of this stuff. And there's new stuff coming out all the time. But those are kind of like the backup solutions. I find that LinkedIn 
and Google give me the best stuff. Oh, and I should mention one other one that's pretty reliable, but it's paid, and that's data.com connect, which is now owned by Salesforce. It's a crowdsourced database of contact information for millions and millions of people. Nice. Cool. All right. So at this point, let's assume that we know who the decision maker is. We found their email. We know it's their email. What should that first email say to them? Because again, the goal is I'm just trying to get them to reply to the email. I'm trying to get them to go on a first date with me. I'm not trying to get them to marry me or start a family. So what should we say and not say in that first email? So I have a very specific format that I follow and it's fluid, but at first I strongly recommend people copy it. And the first thing I should say is that your email should be 125 words or less. That sounds like a lot. It's really not. Uh, You'd be surprised when you start writing, you'll see how quickly you'll hit that wall. I feel very strongly about that limit. I think we need a limit and 125 words I found is kind of the sweet spot that or something below that. In fact, if you can't seem to do it, if you force yourself to get it under 125 words, I found that in most cases, you'll notice if you're honest with yourself that it's better than what you had originally. So it will be better. So the first trigger, actually, you know, we talked about creating that pattern interrupt with your prospect. Mm-hmm. The first important trigger is brevity. If your email is brief, right away, that stands out. Okay. So brevity is one of them. The other pattern interrupt is personalization. So showing them right away, look, this is not a mass email. I wrote this personally to you only. And then the other one is relevance. The good thing about speakers is you could easily do all those three things. The hardest one is probably going to be the brevity. You're keeping it to 125 words or less. So um, when you write it out, the format is this. Uh, The subject line should be what I call uh, the meaningful connection. And I'll explain that in a second. Then the opening sentence of the email body should start off with a meaningful connection, then move into the value statement, then provide a credibility URL or link, then a soft invitation to connect. So what do these things mean? Well, meaningful connection is just a statement that ties what you do to something you notice about that particular prospect. So the connection or the bridge. And it's basically something like, hey, I noticed this about you or your organization or this event that you're doing. Here's what that has to do with me. Here's how I may be able to help you. So you're making that connection. So the subject line should contain an element to that meaningful connection. It shouldn't be completely mysterious, but it should be intriguing. And just by having it there, it indicates relevance. So, hey, the ABC conference in March, your ABC conference in March, right? Something to that effect. To someone who's putting that together, that's going to be extremely relevant. I mean, that doesn't feel like a marketing email, right? Now, when you open the email, remember in the body, I said, start with a meaningful connection. This is very important because the tendency is to say, hi, Charlie, my name is Ed Gandia, and I am a professional speaker, blah, 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 blah. I've spoken it, that that is a tendency. No. If you led with an element of the meaningful connection in the subject line, you need to continue that in the first sentence. So it should be something to the effect of, hi, Charlie, I came across your conference happening in March. It's continuous, right? right. Don't get into you stuff first. Then that after you've introduced that, you've indicated relevance there and personalization, that's when you can have a sentence or two about you. And it should just be a couple of sentences. The reason I'm writing is here's who I am. Here's who I've worked with. Here's what I could potentially bring to the table. In fact, here's a link that will tell you a little bit more about me and what I may be able to do for you guys. 
Okay. The reason for the link is you don't have the real estate in the email. Give them a link where they can find out more. They can self-select that way. That saves you a lot of time. Saves them a lot of time. And then a soft invitation to connect. That's the last element of the email. I love doing it this way. I usually use a question. And the question is typically, should we connect? The reason I like ending the email with a question instead of a, you know, should I, uh, you know, I'm going to call you tomorrow to discuss, or I'm going to follow up with you or let me know. That's what everyone else does. So again, I want to be different. Number one. Number two, questions beg to be answered. And when it's an interesting question, it's different from what everybody else is doing. It's non-threatening, such as, should we connect? It just begs to be answered. So I found that it does tend to increase the response rate on that. Cool. And that's it. And again, word count really matters. So 125 words or less. So you said several things I want to touch on. So starting with the subject line. So it needs to be short. It needs to almost like open a loop that you're going to continue the conversation on in that first sentence. Uh, so in that first sentence, you're kind of continuing the thought then of whatever's referenced in the subject line. One thing I'm curious about is, and I had this question asked me the other day from a speaker, is if you're doing research on that person or that company and you're trying to make that personal connection and you come across any personal anecdotes about them and you mention those, is that helpful? Is that creepy? Meaning if someone reaches out to me and they say, Hey, I was looking over your site and I saw that you have, you know, you have three daughters. I have three daughters. That's cool. We have this connection, you know, that type of thing. That to me is like, yeah, that's public. That's out there versus like, you know, I went into the archives and and here's some deep stuff I found out about you and here's how it relates to me. Uh, Like what's the fine line on that? Or is there one? What are your thoughts? It might be a personal preference, but I really don't think that's very effective just because you're trying too hard. You're trying to heart gotcha. too hard and it's not, again, you're dealing with very, very little trust in trying to pretend there's more in place or trying to open that door artificially. Gotcha. I think it's, it's counterproductive. So I think you're better off sticking with something that's relevant and, but still personalized, but more business-like it's still going to stand out quite a bit more and your chances are much higher. So if we're limited to 125 words, which I totally would agree that having some restrictions on you is super, super helpful. That's why I think Twitter can, you can make the case that something like Twitter makes you a better writer because it you got 140 characters and you got to make it work. And so they're not going to be like, all right, well, if you put in a few extra, it's okay. Like you got to think through your wording. And so if you've got 125 words to work with, you got to make every single one of those words count. So what are some ways that when anybody is sending an email whether it's speaker or otherwise, that people waste words and like, you don't need to include all of this stuff. What are some of those mistakes? Well, the biggest one is introducing yourself like we used in that earlier example. My name is Grant Baldwin. I am a professional speaker specializing in, you know, whatever. That is a lot of wasted real estate right there. Okay. Get to the point immediately. The other would be the one we just talked about, which is trying to get too personal when you haven't developed that level of trust yet. Another one is just fluff, words that don't matter. And this one's a little tougher. Uh, It's easier for me because I'm a writer. So the way I like to do it is I don't restrict myself too much at first. I follow this formula, but almost always I go over 125 words. And then what I'm scanning for are fluff words, words that don't really add anything. Wordiness. Uh, You want to keep these sentences really, really short because it should be punchy it should be conversational. It should be you know, very business-like to the point people really respect that. So I think when you start looking for fat, which you have to if you give yourself that 125-word limit, it's very easy to find those words that don't really add anything. And you have to be honest with yourself. 
Now, the other thing I was going to say, Grant, is, you know, we've really been talking about one type of meaningful connection. You know, I mentioned this meaningful connection thing. It's, hey, I noticed this, right? right. We've only been talking about one of them, but there's really four of them. So the, the one we've been talking about is what I called a trigger event. The trigger event is I know there's the ABC conference in March. Okay, that is an actual event that I'm going to point out to. I noticed the ABC conferences in March. I'm curious, you know, if you have all your speakers set, blah, 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 blah. That's only one way. There's three others that are very, very powerful. The other one that I love is pointing to what I call a trigger attribute. So unlike trigger events, trigger attributes are not event related. They're based on something the prospect has been doing for a while or maybe something that they're about. It, hey, Mr. Prospect, I noticed that you're starting to really go after this market or you're starting to move in this direction or that you've launched something or that you're really getting into this area or you know whatever. So those types of things, and that's kind of an abstract thing, but the, I think the thing to keep in mind is it's not about an event. It's really about who they are or a direction they're moving into. Okay. The other way, number three, so trigger event, trigger attribute, number three, naming something relevant about yourself. I know this sounds kind of weird. It's like, well, you don't really want to talk about yourself, but let's say that you were a high school teacher for 22 years, mm -hmm. you know, and that would be relevant to this organization you're going after. Hey, Grant, I'm reaching out. I was a high school teacher for 22 years and I now do this. Here's what I typically do. I'm not sure what you're planning for, you know, speaker wise in this conference or, you know, maybe in an upcoming event. So notice I'm not really talking about something very specific. This could be kind of broad. Right. Okay. I worked in the renewable energy industry for eight years and now I do this. So you're bringing something from your background, something about yourself that's relevant to this organization or the situation you're, you're going after here. And then the fourth one, the fourth type of meaningful connection is one that I think we're more used to, but we rarely use these days, leveraging a mutual contact. Oh, uh, yeah. Right? Hey, Grant, I know that you know Tim Smith, my good friend Tim Smith. You know, he and I worked together for eight years. He suggested I reach out to you. Or if you can get Tim Smith to actually broker the introduction even better, right? right. But leveraging, that one tends to bring the biggest response rate, but it's not one we typically come into every single day, right? So when we have it, use it, but it's just, you know, it's one that a lot of people forget about. Gotcha. Those are great. Okay. I really like that. And so, and one of the nice things about being a speaker is typically you, there is a, an actual event that they are working towards. So you've got that specific thing that you can reference, but yes, you can all three of those or all four of those rather are different ways that you can use that. Hey, I, you know, I work with such and such client and they booked me to come speak and they recommended that I reach out to you. Or I know that you just had such and such speaker. And so that speaker recommended that I reach out to you. So yeah, a lot of different things that you could use there. One thing I was curious about is within the email, you said to mention, you know, within a sentence or two, here's who I am and here's why I'm contacting you and here's how my site and the site is just kind of, if you want all the information, go to the site type of thing. How much of that should be included versus sometimes I've noticed that in that email, like if I get an email and it's like a super short, quick email, I'll look in their signature line to see if there's a, a website or I'm going to look at the domain of their email. So if it's, you know, if I get an email at edgandia.com. Well, I'm going to look up edgandia.com to say, who is this Ed guy? I'm just, I'm curious. So is it, how much should we get into go to my website or are naturally most people inclined to do that anyway? Well, I think what you'll find is you're increasing your chances if you go ahead and give them a link to, to a page on your site. Mm -hmm. I prefer to send them to a page on my site, usually like a why me page or about me gotcha. page instead of okay. the homepage. 
because you got a couple of categories of people. The, the ones who are extremely interested are going to do the due diligence. They're going to take the extra step and go, right? So even like you mentioned, I mean, you looked at the email. Most people don't do that because most people aren't actively looking right now. So what you want is you want to capture everybody. You want to make it easy for those who wouldn't take that extra step because they're too busy. They didn't think about it or what have you. Just go ahead and give it to them there. But you're right. I mean, if you're running out of room, then go ahead and use it in your signature line. And then the other, this is a really cool tip. When you're trimming and you're really agonizing over what to trim, and we can talk about follow-up if you want, but if there's something you took out that you felt, man, this is really good, but I have to take it out, you can reuse that in your follow-up email. So don't think that all effort is wasted. In fact, I suggest that people keep a repository of potential follow-up copy they can use because you're going to need it. So let's talk about the follow-up piece and we'll start to kind of wrap up with this because if you send that email out, then, and you would probably know the statistics better than I would, but most people won't reply. And so there's going to be a some percentage that do reply and you can kind of take it from there. But for those that don't reply, should we follow up? How do we follow up? How do we do it without being annoying and spamming them? I remember <laughs> I've had this happen a few times where someone would email me and then like a day later, I'd get an email. Hey, just want to ping this back to the top of your inbox. Make sure you got it. I know you're busy. And then like they would keep doing that and it just drove me up the wall. So like, how do you balance that of keeping something like trying to get a reply, but not just being annoying to someone? So that wasn't me, right, Grant? <laughs> not <laughs> you, not you. You know better. <laughs> All right. So, and, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to answer your email. So, <laughs> so, so here's the deal. You have to have a process because it's very easy to get emotionally involved in this. So I have some rules in that way. I don't have to think about it. I just know. And if you use a contact management system, then this is really, really easy. You detach yourself emotionally. You wait two weeks. The statistic is basically this, and this has been done in several industries. It varies industry to industry, but across the board, it's basically this only about three to 4% of prospects are actively looking for someone in your capacity right. at any given time. The biggest factor is time because the next group is 40%. And that's 40% of prospects who are poised to enter a buying cycle, meaning at some point in the near future, they're going to start looking for someone like you. So what you want is you're looking for the low hanging fruit, but that's only three to 4%. Those who are actively looking, but you also want to, diversify your efforts a little bit so that you can maybe get noticed or get on the radar screen of those who will enter a research or buying cycle very soon. So my rule is this, you send it out, then I wait two weeks, make a note in your contact management system. And in two weeks, what I do is I go back to my set folder in my email client. Mm -hmm. I find that original email I sent and I click on forward. So I'm forwarding it back to them. So we'll put FW on the subject line. Yep. And then I can now add a little bit of copy on top. And this is key. What you don't want to do is, hey, pinging you. And so this gets back to the top of your inbox. That is annoying because you're saying, I need to get back up there. You, I deserve to get back up there. It's all about you. Okay. What you do is you pretend that all is cool and say, hey, Grant, I forgot to mention when I emailed you a couple of weeks ago that I've also spoken at X. Y and Z over the past 18 months. Gotcha. Anyway, uh, let me know if you'd like to connect. Here's what's going to happen. First of all, it's going to raise questions. Like, well, wait a minute. What's this about again? Right. It's going to force them to read below the original email. Oh yeah. 
They're going to show, it demonstrates respect for the prospect. You're not being a pest. And it, cause it's a, it's about them, not you. And you're able to use some of that copy that maybe you cut out because you didn't have room. You wanted to tell them that you spoke at X and Y and Z, but you didn't have room. So that's the place to do it. That's super creative. So that's two weeks later. And then I wait two more weeks. And if it's someone that I would really, if I really want to pursue them, and I think it's worth the extra effort, in most cases it is, then what I do is I take my original email, I copy and paste it into a Word document. I turn it into a letter. By that, I mean, I put the today's date, their mailing address, print it, I sign it, and I snail mail it. Old school. Old school. You're changing the medium. Again, pattern interrupt. I actually hand address the envelope, put a live stamp on it first class. You're changing the medium and you're increasing the chances they're going to pay attention. So two weeks and then two weeks. All right. So you send the physical mail and then do you follow up on that or what do you wait till they reply? Like at what point do you be like, okay, I'm going to just leave it alone. So I'm not annoying them. Typically at that point, I actually stop. Although, you know, look, you can always break the rules. It's up to you. Sure. And you can wait another week or two and follow up, but somewhere in there, you actually kind of have to stop. My recommendation is that you wait a month or two, start the process all over again. It's like, well, wait a minute, Ed, why would I send them the same email? They're going to know, believe me, people are so busy, they're not going to remember. Right, right. Remember I told you 40% of buyers are poised to begin? Yeah. You're, if you wait a month or two, you're increasing the chances they're now in that 40% group. Sure. Or maybe in that 3% group. Right. Well, and I, again, I think that that brings up a great point that, you know, if someone's in a position where they are looking to hire a speaker, most people that are doing that may only hire a speaker one time per year. So there may just be one week or a small little season in the course of a year where they're actually looking for a speaker. So if you hit them at a totally opposite time of the year, that's just, they're going to need a speaker at some point. And so yes, that email is going to be valuable. You just caught them at the, at the wrong time. It's just not on their radar. So yes, making sure you're trying to every few months or so, maybe touch base with them again. And non-annoying, non-sleazy way, it can really just help to, to stay top of mind with when they're ready to make that decision. Absolutely. Cool. Well, Ed, thanks so much, man, for the time. We really appreciate you sharing some wisdom and, and guidance on this stuff. This is really, really helpful. Hey, if people want to find out more about you, I know we're just literally scratching the surface. I know you got a great blog and podcast, and then you, you really teach this stuff well. So where can we find out more about you? Sure. So a couple of places. My website is b2blauncher.com. The two is a number. So b number two, blauncher.com. And I also have a kind of a summary PDF that's got a sample script, fill in the blank stuff that you can use. The cover is what we just talked about, warm email prospecting, which I've kind of systemized. And that's at smarterfreelancing.com forward slash WEP. So warm email prospecting dash script. WP script. Beautiful. We'll be sure and link up to all of that in the, uh, the show notes. So Ed, thanks for the time, man. Appreciate you. Thanks, man. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ed Gandia. Just really good stuff from Ed. Really, really practical, tangible stuff. I really like that for sure. So again, like I mentioned to you at the beginning, make sure if you haven't already, register for the speakerlabsummit.com. All right, you're going to want to pick up your free ticket by going over there to the speakerlabsummit.com. You don't want to miss out on this. Again, totally free, but you got to register. All right, we're going to be wrapping up on September the 23rd. 
Each day we're going to be releasing three to four talks, and each of those talks is only going to be up for three days. So we are a couple days into the summit already at the time that this episode goes live, which means you've already missed the talks from Monday, all right? If you don't want to miss any more, then you definitely need to go over to thespeakerlabsummit.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up episode 98. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.